Uh, today's scripture readings from Isaiah, uh, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend to his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lamb in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked the heavens off with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his, his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord God is, ever, is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Lord, we just thank you for providing us this place to worship you and, and learn about you. Uh, Lord, we ultimately thank you for the grace that you show us. Uh, and that you paid our debt by dying on the cross on our behalf. Lord, this morning I just pray that as Tim preaches your word and your message, that we don't just hear it in our ears, but that we, we hear it in our hearts, and that your word just transforms us this morning. I pray, Lord, that uh, if, if there's any out there today that don't know you, that they come to know you. Uh, and Lord, ultimately, we just want to praise you and lift up your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. It's really good to see you guys. If you're new with us, a special welcome to you. This is a good Sunday to join us. We're kind of closing out the summer, even though it's still 105 degrees outside. Uh, we're closing out the summer. We're heading into the fall. School starting back, and we're ramping up as a church, as I'm sure you are as a family and your routines as well. And so today, you should stay after. We have a popcorn buffet. Yeah, which is amazing as it sounds. Uh, and we have a bounce house for the kids. We have a large mist fan to help with some of that 105 degree heat. And we have bags like cornhole so you guys can compete out there. Uh, so hang out afterwards, meet some new people and have fun with that. And we're also today starting a new series on what we believe. And we're starting with God. And as I prepared this week, I thought of a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. Yeah, and uh, you can clap for that, that's good. Uh, we, we went to the beach, and so uh, one of the nights uh, while we're at the beach, we're looking out on the ocean, and my wife is doing that, uh, and I'm getting ready for dinner. And she sees this storm that's coming in over the ocean, and I don't know if you've ever seen a storm come in over the ocean, but it's an amazing sight to see. But my wife is out there, she's already ready, uh, because I let her get ready first, because I'm a gentleman, and because I was watching Sports Center, and... Um, I let her get it ready first, and so I'm getting ready. She's out there, and she sees this storm begin to come in, and she, she yells at me in the uh, hotel, and she says, Tim, you, you got to come out here and see this. I mean, this is amazing. This storm is coming in over the water. And I, I thought about it, and I said, okay, um, and I just kept getting ready. <laughs> and, and a couple seconds later, she, she yelled at me again. She said, Tim, you got to come out here and see this. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you wouldn't believe the clouds are coming in, the lightning, I mean, the waves. This is crazy. you got to come out here and see this. And I, and I remember thinking in that moment, like, I've seen a storm before. I mean, is Jesus riding in on the clouds? I mean, 
this isn't going to take care of itself. Like, I, I got to get ready. We're going out to dinner. Like, I got to look nice. I mean, I'll see a storm later. Well, a couple seconds later, my wife tells me again a little bit more firmly. She says, Tim, you're going to miss this. Get out here now. And so I, I walked out onto our porch. And as soon as I stepped out there and saw the sky and I saw the ocean, I thought, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> wow, this is bigger than I even imagined. And, and I began to look at the details of the sky, of the ocean, of all of it. And I began to see the clouds coming in and the thickness of them. And they were canvassing the water and it was coming towards us like it would engulf us. Right? And I began to see the, the rain and the wind and the rush of all that. And we're close to the beach. And so you can kind of feel it. Have you felt that before? You can feel the wind coming at you. You can smell it as you're right there in front of the ocean. And I began to see the, the lightning and the sun was still setting. And so there was not only the flashes of bright light, but there was colors coming through from the sunset still. So you had purple and blue and orange coming through the flashes of lightning. And I began to see all of this and it was amazing. And I was kicking myself <laughs> that I was getting ready and I didn't get to see this more with my own eyes. You see, as we start this series on, on what we believe, and specifically as we look at God, my prayer for you as I've prepared this week is that you would see God with your own eyes. And I know in a room this size that a lot of you have an idea about God, right? We're in church, right? And so a lot of you have an idea about God. Some of you are Christians, and maybe you grew up around the church, and you think, well, I have a pretty good idea, Tim, of, of who God is. I mean, I basically know what he's all about, and I believe in him. And maybe as we enter into a sermon like this, you're like, well, I, I've heard a, a thousand sermons like this. But maybe some of you are here and, and you're not a Christian and you're curious about God. And maybe you've heard some things about God and you have some preconceived notions of what he is like. Listen, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, I want you to look at God in the Bible and I want you to see him with your own eyes that it would fall fresh on you, whether you've been in church your whole life or whether this is your first Sunday, that we would see him. And as we look at who he is, that we would step back and say by the end of this that he's bigger than we imagined, right? That while there's more details than I, than I realized to this God and that we would step back and see that he is amazing and that we would worship him in light of that truth. And so that's our hope for today as we enter into this. We're going to look at three points about God. We're going to see that God is, God's design is glorious, that God's character is good, and God's method is grace. And let me just say this. We're not going to hit everything there is to believe about God in one sermon, right? It's not going to happen. And so we have a book for you in the back. It's called Christian Beliefs. It's, it's really short, uh, so you're going to like that. And it's really good content, and it's really broad. So it covers the 20 things that Christians believe about who God is. And so you're going to want to go back and grab one of those. They're just $10. Uh, you can grab that and read more on your own. But we're just going to hit these three points today. Our first point, God's design is glorious. And we're looking at Isaiah 40, 10 through 14 and verse 28. We just read it. Uh, you can take a look at it. It's in the Old Testament. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible. If you have an actual Bible, you can also look on the screen with us as well. But it starts off in verse 10. Look at the text. It says, behold the Lord God. Literally that word behold means to see. 
right? And it's more than just take a look at it. It's to, to see it. Don't miss this. Kind of like my wife with the storm, right? It's, hey, you got to see this. And, he, and he's saying, behold the Lord God. And then he describes them in two significant ways. Look at verse 10. He says he comes with might. His arm rules. So he's a strong ruler. But he's also a gentle leader. Look at verse 12. It says he tends his flock like a shepherd. And so some brief context for you. Isaiah was a prophet, meaning he spoke on behalf of God to the Israelites. And what was going on in that day was the Israelites were experiencing a national crisis. We can't relate to that at all, right? <laughs> but their national crisis was a little bit worse than ours. Their, their nation was literally divided into two. And they had an enemy in Assyria who was coming after them to get them. And they were much stronger than Israel. And they were in the midst of that. And Isaiah is proclaiming these truths about God amidst those circumstances. And some of you might think, well, well how is that helpful? Because we think like that today, right? Like in the midst of your circumstances, good or bad, maybe some of you came in here today, you came to church, you're like, we're getting into the fall, I need to go back to church, my kids are going to school, we need to come back and do this thing. And maybe you were, you're curious to see because you have some issues in your life that need to be dealt with. You have some conflict in relationships, you have some stress at work, you have some financial issues in your life, maybe even some, some spiritual weight is beginning to set in that there's something off in your life. And you, you came today and, and we're on a what we believe series. And you're thinking, Tim, I need some practical help for my life. I don't need this abstract belief. But you see that the same is true in Isaiah's day as in our day that what we believe is the most important thing about us. In fact, A.W. Tozer an old theologian said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That what he's saying is that what starts with belief ends up in behavior. That starts with conviction changes your circumstances. And that if you get a foundation of who God is, of what he's like, that everything flows out of that. It's like a fountainhead. And everything begins to flow out of that into your finances and into your relationships and into your work. And so Isaiah is proclaiming to, to them, he's proclaiming to us that, that we need to have a belief about God that's accurate and that it's not just confessional, it's functional. You see that? It's not just confessional, it's functional. Like as we talk about what we believe as Christians and as the church, my hope for you today is I speak this to you, that you would remember it, right? That you would take notes and you would be able to speak it as well, but it doesn't stop there. That what we believe on Sunday needs to affect our Tuesday. That it's functional. That in our crisis moments, like Israel was in, like you may be in, that you functionally believe this. That you don't just speak it, that you live it. That's our goal as we continue to look at who God is. That he is ultimately in control and you would believe that functionally even in your darkest moment. And God begins to il illustrate this through Isaiah in verses 12 through four, 14. Look at those verses. Verse 12, he says, he's marked off the heavens with a span. I want you to think about this. If you take your hand, you can do this now. Just take your hand, hold it up. Everybody do this together. There you go. I see your hands. I see a hand. And uh, if you just think about your pinky to your thumb, that's the span of your hand, right? And you just wave that around and see what that can cover. As Isaiah is talking about God, he's talking about, you can put your hands down now. He's talking about their, his span, like his 
thumb to his pinky, his hand, it covers the whole universe. I was reading about Neil Armstrong, and when he went to the moon, he, he was talking about, maybe you've heard this, that he, he saw the earth as he was getting closer to the moon, and he could put his thumb over it. Do you know that God's way bigger than that? that? That he doesn't just put his hand over the earth, that he puts his hand over the entire universe, over galaxies, over everything that exists. God is so massive and weighty that he puts his hand over all of that. Now, as we talk about what we believe about God, you need to know that's not literal uh, because we believe God's spirit. John 4, 24 tells us he's, he's spirit. So he's everywhere at all times, but it is the idea that he is so massive, he's so weighty, that he's fully everywhere at all times, that he's covering the expanse of the entire universe, that God is massive and weighty. I think of Job. If you're not familiar, Job had a lot taken away from him in his life. Job in the Bible, he has a lot taken away from him. He experiences this exchange between God and himself talking about that. Sometimes trusting, sometimes doubting, sometimes questioning. And God, multiple times, if you've read the story of Job, begins to reach out to Job and say, listen, you need to understand how big I am. You need to understand who created everything that you're, that you're experiencing right now, who's in charge of this whole thing. And he begins to let Job understand that, and he does it uniquely in Job 41. He talks about the Leviathan. Say that with me, Leviathan. Leviathan, it's kind of fun to say. This Leviathan in Job chapter 41 is some type of animal in the sea. In the sea. Some scholars think it was maybe just a large crocodile. Some, some of the people in the ancient world thought it was like a sea creature. And if you think about that day, they traveled in a boat on a water a lot, right? That was their main way to travel. And so they would be scared of this creature. This is one of the most feared creatures that they had ever seen because if they fell in the water, which was a, a reality in their day, they could be attacked by this, right? And so whether it's a large crocodile or some other kind of big animal creature in the sea, they didn't want to run into this. And I love this. It's one of my new favorite verses in the Bible. In Job 41, it says, God takes the Leviathan, this massive sea creature, and he plays with it like a bird. So you just imagine a bird flying on God's finger, this massive sea creature that to God, it's like he, he plays with it like a bird. It's like he takes it like a pet and puts it on a leash, it says. And he takes, he takes this massive sea creature that everyone is, is scared of, and he puts it on his side and makes him submit like a household pet, right? The Leviathan, a little nugget for you to take on your way to lunch. God is so big. God is so massive that he takes what we think is big and he shrinks them down to size. That God's design is glorious. We're going to see that as we continue. Verse 13, look at the verse. It says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Verse 28, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is searchable. This text is saying is that God's design is glorious, that he built everything, and he didn't need anybody to show him how to do it. Like God is completely wise. He didn't need to read a manual. He didn't need to watch a YouTube video. 
God intrinsically knew what he was doing when he created everything and that his design is glorious and it works. Do you ever think about that? The things that just work around us, like our earth, it just, it just rotates, it just works. Like the sun is about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, but the earth is just close enough to get warmth and light from it and not incinerate. It just works. Even at night when the sun goes down, it's not completely pitch dark outside, right? And we have the moon, we have the stars. It just, it just works. You think about gravity. We have enough distance in our atmosphere to fly a plane all over the world and not immediately bounce into space, right? How does that happen? Do you know how it happens? It just works. That God designed it that way. You think of a rainbow, why is it seven colors and not just one or two? Why does a rainbow even happen, right? What is a double rainbow? Have you seen one of those? Why does that happen? We just see it and we're like, oh, that's pretty. That's cute, right? Hey, kids, look out the window. There's a rainbow. Listen to how a rainbow comes about. I didn't know this, and maybe you didn't either. It says this, the, the water droplets act like a prism, refracting the white light from the sun and spreading into its many parts. Red light is refracted differently than violet, so they enter your eyes at a different angle. The red light from drops hits your eyes, while the violet light from other drops hits your eyes too, so you see different colors at different locations. And what it went on to talk about is how some people see different variations of colors, that there's really way more than seven, that it's an infinite amount of colors as you talk about the shades of those colors. And it all happens that way. Isn't that amazing? A rainbow. Our human body. A muscle the size of your fist keeps you alive. There's big things about God's design that are amazing, but there's, there's little things that work as well, like fajitas. <laughs> I mean, fajitas just smell good, right? I'm from Texas. Like, fajitas just smell good. Like, why is that? Why does on a Sunday afternoon, maybe you're going to do this a little bit later, why do you take a nap, and it's like the most refreshing thing you've ever experienced, right? <laughs> Why is that? Why does when a, when a baby hears music, she just dances, right? Have you ever seen that before? Like a baby hears music, she's just waving side to side. Some of you are looking at me like you've never seen that before, so I want to show it to you. Look at the screen. So that's my baby. And I'd like to think, you know, my baby's really cute, and she's the only one that does that, right? But she's not. That every little baby, they hear music, and they just, they just get a little sway to them. How do they know that? All right, I didn't teach my baby how to dance. Surely, you just saw that. How does she know intuitively, like, music comes on, and she just starts jiving to the beat? Why does that happen? Why does she even care about music? Why is God's design the way it is? Why does it work? Do you ever think about that? It's because his design is glorious, that he had a purpose behind it. Listen, I don't know where you are with God, but if you ever step back and you get bored with God's design, if you ever just begin to look around at the things around you and the way things work, and maybe you've lived a long life and you're just like, yeah. And even as I talk, you're like, yeah, that's, that's sweet. Your daughter was dancing. Okay. 
If you lose the wonder of God's creation, his purpose, his majesty behind it, his design is glorious. And that we should step back and be in awe of a God who is like that, that that's what we believe about God, that he is glorious. If you don't know what that means, he's, he's weighty, he's great, that he's magnificent, that everything he touches is that way. There's a, a heaviness to God's glory that you see it everywhere we go. And some of you are thinking, well, Tim, that's great. How does this affect my life? Remember, we want you to have not just confessional belief, but functional belief. Well, if you think about that God's design is so glorious, then you'll realize that everything you do in life has purpose. We see this in scripture when it talks about whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God, right? That even in little things like drinking some water, you can do that for the glory of God. Why? Because his design is glorious. Because he has infected purpose in everything you do. And so as you begin to think about your life, as you begin to think about the cube you sit in on Monday, as we get started back in school, the chaos of driving your kids to school, the dinner table as you eat food, that all of that has purpose. And maybe you're thinking, well, it has purpose for maybe some other people, but not me. And No, it has purpose for everything. Why? Because God created it. Because God designed everything and he designed you. We're going to talk more about that next week as we talk about humanity. But you need to know that God's purpose gives you purpose in everything you do. And that changes our lives functionally if we believe that. I think about a guy in our church who has gone through some health situations re recently, and he got over one, and he's going through another one now, and it's, and it's worse. And he went through the first one, and he was trusting God and staying faithful to God and hoping in God, and he was declaring that to other people. He was living that out practically, and it doesn't mean he never doubted, but he was fighting through that, persevering, looking at a, a glorious God, seeing purpose in that pain. And then something else just popped up. And he's asking, like, God, why is this happening? But he's still seeing the purpose and the pain. And I was telling him the other day, I said, hey, hey Ron, you need to know that there's a group of guys that, that talk about that in our church. There's a group of guys that, that look at the way you're living and, and what you're believing in the midst of that. And, and they respect that and they admire that and they want to model that. I said, Ron, people are, are watching what you say, what you do. Like, it, it matters. There's purpose in your pain. And he already knows that, but he was surprised. Like, really, people are observing that? And I said, yeah. You didn't know whatever situation you're going through, there's, there's purpose in it. Why? Because God designed it. So there's even purpose in pain. And so maybe you did come today to, to relieve some of that pain, to relieve some of your circumstances. You need to know that you don't need to be so quick to jump out of them, that you need to realize there's purpose amidst them. And you need to say, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? How are you trying to use me through this to impact others? And we need to ask that question because we believe God's design is glorious. And so God is bigger than we could ever imagine, and he's better than we could ever dream. That leads, our, leads us to our second point. God's character is good. Psalm 89, 14 says this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Psalm 18, 30 says this, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. These two Psalms are saying his ways are perfect and his foundation is perfect that his very nature is holy. And again, some of you have been in church a long time and you've heard that truth, right? 
God is holy. It almost seems obvious. Like, of course, Tim, God is holy. We believe that. But if you'll notice about life, sometimes the obvious, the obvious truths don't come with the appropriate response, right? Like as I was pulling in this morning, the sign out front at ASU Prep, the digital sign, I don't know if you saw this, it said, it's hot, drink water. Now I read that and I think, it's Phoenix, like we all know it's hot, right? It's August, it's been hot for a while. We all know it's hot and we probably all know we should drink water, but how many of us, you know it's hot, right? But how many times do you say during the day, like, I didn't drink enough water today? Like, I feel kind of off. Maybe I didn't drink enough water. Maybe your kids are like, maybe they need more water. And you realize, like, I didn't drink enough water. But you, you know it's hot. It's an obvious truth. But your response isn't always appropriate. God's holiness is oftentimes like that. That as we think about God's holiness, some of us see that. We know about it. We've heard about it. And sometimes we res- reduce that to, well, that means you just cuss a little less, Right? That's holiness. That means you just, you don't drink as much as you used to. I mean, that, that, that's holiness, right? And you don't have the appropriate response to this obvious truth. And that as we look at God's holiness, I think this is helpful. Charles Hodge, a pastor and theologian from the 1800s, said this. He said, the holiness of God is not to be conceived as of one attribute among others. It is rather a general term representing the conception of God's consummate perfection, and total glory. You see, God's holiness is all of his attributes combined together in the fullness of glory. That the way you see God, that that behold the Lord God, that that's what he's wanting you to see. That all of his attributes combine together and it's glorious. You see, God loves perfectly. There's not a better way to love. God's present perfectly. When you talk to God, he's not checking his phone. I can promise you that. God is all powerful. He has no limitations. God is perfectly wise. He never fails. He never lacks any foresight and he never estimates. I don't know if you've ever built something from from Ikea, but it takes a lot of estimation, doesn't it? Because their instructions are horrible. Right? You take those out and you start trying to read them. And if you're like me, you eventually just step three, you throw them out, right? Or burn them, depending on how angry you are at that point, right? And you begin to eyeball it, right, men? Are you with me? Amen? You begin to eyeball it. You're like, I don't need the instructions. I got this. And you begin to like, I think that screw goes here. I'm going to nail this in over here. And it never works, right? You're like, that's not how it looked on the picture, but you begin to eyeball it. Do you know God never does that? God never estimates. He never thinks like, maybe I'll send some rain here. Maybe I'll bring this situation in your life here. And we'll just see what happens. We'll just eyeball it, right? That God never does that. That he has precise purpose for everything he does. For everything he initiates. That there's a plan behind it. That he's perfectly wise And lastly, that God is unchanging. The big theological word for this is immutable. You don't necessarily need to memorize that word, but you need to know that that means God's character, his very nature is good, and it doesn't change, that his promises don't either. We're in a political climate right now, I don't know if you you realize that, where people say things a lot, and then they say something else, right? 
And we even map it out over the course of a couple of years. We're like, a couple of years ago, you said this, but now you say the exact opposite. <laughs> Which one is it? And they say something else. And then five minutes later, they say something else, right? And what does that do to you as a, a voting citizen? It makes it hard to trust, right? You're thinking, if he said this two years ago, and he's saying this today, and he's saying this five minutes later, what's he going to say two years from now when he's the president, right? It's kind of scary. It makes you trust God, right? Because why? God isn't like that. That God is immutable. His character doesn't change. His promises that we read about in his word, they don't change. That God is unchanging. God is good. God is holy. The other day I was watching this video um, where they did this trust game. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but it's, it's that game where you, you just do like this, cross your arms across your chest, and you try to lay back, and you fall, and you just hope someone catches you. And so actually, Rick, I want to bring you up right now, and, and let's try that out real quick. Rick Eford, give it up for Rick Eford. He's a friend of mine. So don't let me fall because that would be embarrassing. Oh, you're but fall. yeah, I'm gonna fall, I, and you're you gonna know, catch I me. Hands. Yeah. Sorry, dude. All right. Well, let's see. So I'm gonna get really close to him <laughs> because this is a good illustration, but only goes so far, right? And so I'm gonna lean back, Rick. You ready? Yeah. You've been lifting weights. Bring it on. All right. Oh, you have been lifting weights. Goodness. All right. Thank you, Rick. Give it up for Rick. So I was watching a video of people doing that, and unlike Rick, the people behind the girl that was doing this, like on a school campus, they never caught her. And so it was a video uh, laughing at that fact. Uh, so it was pretty awful, but it was kind of funny. Of uh, this trust game, and it was the, the reality that people would just step to the side and she would fall down. Did you know that, that God never steps to the side? That his character is planted, it's not changing, that he is good and you can trust him. That you don't have to wonder, like, God, are you still there? Are you, are you going to catch me? Like, I know I did some things over the weekend and in my past. Like, are you, are you still going to be there? And God and his promises and his character says yes. Because I don't change. And listen, everybody around you does, don't they? Like they just have a bad day and they, they change. They have moodiness and they, they change. And you wonder, like, can I depend on you? You never have to wonder that with God. You can, you can trust him because his character is unchanging. And as we look at his character, we see another truth about God that we believe. And that's that we have one God but three persons, and that his character is not just good by himself, that he's, he's one essence, that he's three persons. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Spirit. It's called the Trinity. And we don't have time to cover that all today, but as you look at Scripture, you see that throughout Scripture. You see a Father, you see the Son, Jesus Christ, and you see the Holy Spirit, and you see them all working together in perfect harmony, that they're all fully God. That they're equally God. They're one essence, three persons, and they're working together as God. And they're completely good. And they don't change. That God and Father, Son, and Spirit is good in his character. 
And some of you think about the Trinity and, and maybe you've studied it before. Maybe you, you feel like you know it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard that word and you think, that is confusing, right? How is there one God but three persons? Like nothing else in, in life works like that. But listen, as you think about that one, you need to keep studying it. You need to read the verses that talk about it. A really good culmination of this is when Jesus gets baptized You see, the father is speaking about him and saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And that you see the spirit is descending like a dove, that you see Jesus is getting baptized. You see it all. You need to read passages like that. You need to learn it. But at the root of that, as you go to that, you need to make sure that you you view God rightly, that you don't go to God and think you need to be like me. Because that's often what we do, isn't it? that we want God to be like us, that we think, I've never heard of anything like the Trinity, so it must not be true. Like, it can't work like that because it doesn't look like us. When I was in seminary, a few guys I used to study with would talk about how you would try to palm the Bible like you would a basketball. Can you just imagine that? You have the basketball, you're, you're palming it like the Bible like a basketball. And what they meant by that was good intentioned, right? They meant that you would know so much about the Bible that you would memorize it and meditate on it. You would soak in it, that you would load your minds with thoughts of it, that you could be able to talk to somebody at any given moment about what it says. And that's a good intention, right? We would all agree with that. But really, as you begin to take that too far, you begin to compartmentalize the Bible and you begin to put God in a box, right? That's the temptation. And that really, as much as we try to learn the Bible and learn about God, that we can't make God like us because he's not like us. That ultimately, we can't palm the Bible, that it should palm us. That we would at some point say to our kids, like when they ask about the Trinity, we would tell them how it is. And we wouldn't try to use the analogy of an egg or water because they don't suffice. And we would just say at one point, God's different than us. And we would be okay with that. And so as you go and you study more about God, you need to come with that framework in mind. The song we sang earlier said it, right? I will exalt. I will lift God on high because there is no one like him. There is no one beside him. You can just picture that, right? That God stands alone. That no one can even stand beside him. There is no equal to our God. That God is one that he's three persons, that his character is good. They're in perfect harmony with one another, that we would see God like that, and we wouldn't try to fit him into a box. God's goodness, though, is not just something we profess. It's a goodness we can experience. We see that in Psalm 34. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so as we talk about confessional belief versus functional belief, this is where it's functional, right? That you would see God is good, so you don't have to go elsewhere to be satisfied. You can taste and see that he's good. You can experience it for yourself that he's good. That at his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And so why do you care that God is good? Why is it important to believe that? Because you can stop looking elsewhere for satisfaction. You can go directly to God. And this is a struggle for us, that as you get distracted by things in your life, it's really easy to go to work and success and hobbies. And instead of going to God, we go to those things and we say, well, this is just really important right now. I mean, this project is due tomorrow, so I got to work on that. I can't deal with what's going on in my heart because I got to work on this. Some of us obsess with the approval of others. 
We think, how can I, I dress, act, post on social media to gain acceptance from other people? Some of us escape with food or sex or alcohol, and we say, it's been a long day, I deserve this. And instead of going to God, who satisfies, who we can taste and see, who the pleasures of all the world are at his right hand, we go to these other things. And what happens when you do this? Again, we'll talk about this more next week when we talk about humanity, but we end up distorting pleasure. And while we may be fulfilled for a moment, it eventually leads to frustration, not fulfillment. And we end up worse than when we started. You see, if you believe functionally that God is good, you'll go to him, right? That whatever situation, big or small, that you'll go to him, not these other things. That if we really believe that, that's what we would do. I was reading an article about an atheist who um, just talked about he really wanted to understand better the Christian belief. That he wasn't going to believe it, but he really wanted to understand it better. And his biggest hang-up that he just couldn't wrap his mind around, he said, there's millions of Christians in our world. And he said, I just don't get it because they don't seem like they, they actually believe this stuff. They talk about all these things, but they don't seem like they actually believe it because they're not living it out. And he said, uh, as Christians, it seems like they shouldn't have to remind themselves so much of who God is. It seems like they would just live it, right? Well, that's somewhat hypocritical of him, right? (laughs) That we we need to remind ourselves of, of who God is as we live that out. But what he's saying and what he's pointing out is that many times as Christians, we have this confessional belief with our mouth, but it doesn't show up in our life, specifically in the dark times. Specifically, when things go bad, we forget that God is good. Uh, just a simple example of this. You're riding in your car, and, and, and I've done this, and I imagine you have before, and you're listening to positive, encouraging K-Love. <laughs> and your, your favorite song, song comes on, and you're just into it. You're just like, Spirit, lead me. And, and you're into it, and then all of a sudden, you're into this, you're praising God, and somebody cuts you off. And all of a sudden, the Spirit is not leading you like it was just a moment ago. You're not singing that song anymore. That that your confessional belief, what you were saying, it didn't translate to your functional moment, right? We've all done that in small ways. We all do that in big ways. We stand and we sing in this service and we raise our hands and we proclaim these truths about God confessionally, but they don't match up with our lives. You, You need to know if you actually believe that God is good, that you'll go to him in the car, In bigger situations, you'll always go to God because he's good. And God doesn't just declare that he's good. He demonstrates it. And that leads us to our final point. God's method is grace. Psalm 116 says this, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. John 1, 14 through 17, is the pinnacle of God's grace. It says, and the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was, was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The idea is that's an abundance of grace, that we could never tap that grace. There's so much of it. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is undeserved favor. 
that we believe as Christians about God, that he works his way to us, that we don't work our way to him, that God meets you right where you are. However you walk in here, whatever belief you have about God, in this moment, God meets you where you are, and he has grace upon grace upon grace for you. And we see that, the pinnacle of that, in Jesus Christ. We saw it in Titus, just our last series, that, that God's grace appears. That God's grace isn't a concept or a principle, it's a person. That you can know that God is gracious, that you can know that he's reaching out, that he's coming to get you, because he did. Right? He sent his son Jesus to come get you, to live, die, and resurrect on your behalf. You see it in Colossians, that if we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus, right? That he is the image of the invisible God. As you read the Gospels, how Jesus lived, what he said, how he felt, we can read that and think, God's like that. Because we see the grace of Jesus lived out. God's method is grace. Here's where this functionally is a belief for us. That means that we don't have anything to prove. We don't have anything to prove. And all of us walk in here and sometimes we, we prove things, right? Sometimes if we're irreligious, we try to believe ourselves. And we think, I'll obey myself. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do because it pleases me. Maybe some of you walk in here today like that. Maybe some of you have grown up in the church and you're more religious. And you say, I'll obey another because it pleases whatever God, whatever religion you want to put in that blank. And then I'll be accepted. Listen, here's where Christianity is different. Here's where the gospel of grace is different and Jesus is different. That if you have trusted in Jesus, you don't say either one of those things. Instead, you say, I am accepted. Therefore, I can walk with Jesus. I can obey him. And I can treat others with that same grace. That all of us, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that his method is gracious and you get to experience that functionally. So there's nothing to prove. And so how do, we, how do we live this out, right? If the goal is to live this out and not just confess it, how do we live this out functionally? I just want to, want to give you a few questions to ask as we close. The first question is this, what builds up your belief? Like what people and places build up your belief? If you are a Christian, what grows your belief? What grows your awe of who God really is and how you should live in light of that? Coming to church, singing a song, reading something like what builds up your belief you need to know what people and places are those things in my life and then what shrinks your belief what, what are the lies that you believe every day and you don't even realize it like you never stop and assess like when you're watching the news and you become anxious do you ever ask like what lie am i believing Am I believing a lie that ultimately that our president, that our government's in control of this thing and however they make decisions and policies that that affects my life ultimately? Like, do you ever stop and assess, am I believing that lie? Is that why I feel anxious? Is that why I feel fearful? What shrinks your belief? You need to know that. You need to know every day there are things that are coming at you to shrink your belief, to make it small, to make you doubt. You need to know what those things are. The last question, what do you need to declare or discard to fill the gap between confessional belief and functional belief? But the reality is for all of us in here, myself included, that there is a gap, right? That there's things we say in here, there's things we sing in here that on Wednesday we don't live out in the moment. And so we need to ask, what do I need to declare? What truths have we just talked about? Do I need to declare, hang on to, memorize, meditate on so that on Wednesday I do live that out? So that in that difficult moment, I do functionally live this out. Like what, 
What does that look like for you? That today we, would, we wouldn't just know the words to say, we would know the way to live. That we wouldn't just sing, Spirit, lead me, where my trust was, is without borders, but we would actually live that out. That we would look at a, a God whose design is glorious, look at a God whose character is good, look at a God whose method is gracious, and we would see, I have purpose because of that. That I have purpose. God's design is glorious, so I have purpose. That we will look at God's character as good so I can trust him. I don't have to go outside of him. I can go directly to him and whatever I'm experiencing. And that lastly, God's method is gracious. And so we don't have anything to prove that functionally today, we would begin to take steps in believing that and living that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time. I thank you for who you are. God, I pray that more than we feel who you are, more than we think about who you might be or or we've heard about you, God, we would know who you are this morning, that you are glorious, you are good, and you are gracious, and that would affect our lives. God, that would determine the way we live our lives, the way we spend our money, the way we treat other people, God, the way we sing even in this moment, the way we celebrated, that it wouldn't be a going through the motions, but God, we would stand back in awe of a great and glorious God, and that would affect our entire life. God, I just imagine what would happen if a people, a room like this, believed you, if we really believed you and lived that out, what difference would that make in our lives, in our city? God, I pray that that wouldn't just be a dream, that we would actually be able to experience that and that would begin today with us. Father, help us to take that next step. We desperately need your help. We desperately need to see you clearly for ourselves. God, I pray that that would happen even in this moment for these men and women. They wouldn't be thinking about other things. They would be thinking about you. God, they would load their minds with thoughts of you and that would carry through the week. Father, help us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.